There is only one story that answers life's most essential questions and gives a lasting sense of purpose and meaning. It's the story that inspires all other stories. It's the true story that defines every one of us. This is that story. Well, good late afternoons or late morning, early afternoon. Uh, I'd like to uh, welcome you to our new series called The Story. Now, what I'm excited about is that we talked about this last weekend, that we're in the next few weeks going to learn together as a church how to share the gospel story in a unique way. And each week will be training, and also it will be uh, an encouraging word to you to learn all the different things that are involved in God's great story. Now, if you would, in your bulletin, would you take out your ginormous note sheet? (laughs) This is about three times the size of it normally, but uh, this is something that you can take notes uh, on uh, this paper and also on the back of it. It's a homework assignment as well. And also in your bulletin is a booklet called The Story. Uh, This is the actual story booklet that we're going to be using uh, to guide people through God's story. Now, uh, it's also available in the iTunes store under The Story. So you can download the app and have it on your phone at all times or on your Android phone, whatever that store is. I believe it's Google, uh, that you can download that as well. So as we start this morning... I want to experiment on you all this morning. I want to have you look at a video clip, and I want to get your reaction. So if we can roll that footage, please. exciting and inspiring. (laughs) Now, raise your hand if you've seen the Lord of the Rings movie. Okay. Now, for those who have seen the movie, those statements that were on the screen, did it bring back some memories of like friendship is valuable and, and, and little hobbits have hairy feet. No, I didn't show up on there, but uh, it had stories about uh, good conquering evil. Now, raise your hands if you've never seen it before. This would be the first time. Okay. Was that very confusing? (laughs) You're like looking at a bunch of statements going, "Uh uh-huh, great. It makes no sense. You know, these are true statements and there's themes uh, throughout this movie, but without content, uh, context, it didn't really make sense, did it? You see, on our own prepositions that we use or statements about things, if they don't engage hearts and imagination... Like stories do. You see, what stories do, stories move us. 
Uh, everyone, I think, enjoys a good movie or a good book that tells a story. And a lot of the great epic stories you have, you know, in the beginning it was a, a, a perfect scenario and then something caused this tension point. And then you have the, the redemption near the end. And hopefully you have the happily ever ending. So some movies, have you ever watched the end and go, What? <laughs> That's not how I wanted it to end. Well, it's stories that, that get our attention. And the point of when we share our gospel, sometimes I think we look at these propositional statements of truth, which we believe can come across the same way as you saw the Hobbit themes, where maybe we talk to people and we, we say statements like, God is love. Or Jesus is the Lamb of God. Or God has given you a wonderful plan in your life. Or you might see that God is just. And you see these truths, but you may not see a connection there. You see, if we approach it that way, I think sometimes we tend to miss the fact that people don't always know the whole story. I like this quote from Colin Smith, he says this, many people know stories from the Bible, but do not know the story of the Bible. It's like having a handful of pearls with no string to link them together. So what's the string that links the story together? Well, think about a time where you've gone to a museum. Has anybody gone to the Smithsonian Institute? Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, I went again, and it, it's like, for me, it was like Goober goes to the big city. I was like, golly, look at this place. Right here, I'm looking at uh, Judy Garland's uh, slippers, and then suddenly, I'm looking at Archie Bunker's chair, and then I'm like lost, where am I going? And then finally, I found the, the map of the museum, and it was great because it had a little dot that said, you are here, <laughs> And because I saw the big picture, I saw, okay, I get it now. Here's where the other sections are that I'm interested in. And so it helped guide me. Well, see, we have the grand story of God's story. And this is a epic story of how things all got started, how things went wrong. Here's what's going to happen next. This is the role that God has given you. If you want to fulfill your destiny, this is what you must do. It's the story that we're going to look at over the next several weeks. And we're going to look at it in four different scenes. Uh, Today, we're going to look at the creation. That's part one. Then we're going to look at next week, the fall, how it all went wrong. And then we're going to look at the rescue Jesus Christ being our redemption. And then finally, we're going to look at the restoration, what that will look like in the, in the end, what we have is our future. And so I am a visual aid kind of person. So if you would kind of entertain me with this as well, uh, I'm going to got, I got hand signals for you. Are you excited? Woohoo! This is great. So for our first point, there's going to be three aspects of creation that we're going to look at. So I want you, everybody put their finger up and point upward if you would. You don't have to, but uh, cool people do it. And so, all right, so we're going to look up for a, we're going to point to God. So this is God. Then take your finger and go creation and then harmony. All right. So God, creation, and harmony. Good job, everyone. <laughs> so those are the aspects of it.
So we're going to look at the first aspect, which is God. Who God is. So here's the first point. Here's the first attribute. God is the main character. I remember someone once showed me, hey, look at the word history. It says his story. I thought, hey, pretty cool. Pretty neat. It's about his story. And so we look at this and we see that God is the main character of the story. He will always need to be the center of the story because somehow, some way, we might shift it to being about us and what we can get out of God and all the benefits. So we need to be God-centered in our approach with the gospel because it starts with him being our main character. This is what God says about himself. I think it's pretty crystal clear. It says this, I am the Lord. There is no other besides me. There is no God. See, no one can compete with God. And even when I'm sharing this story, it's not about myself or the person I'm even sharing it to. It's all about God being the main character. You know, every good story has the the opening uh, character. You know, who is it based on? And for us, the gospel is all about God. I like how Paul the Apostle would call the gospel God's gospel, God's good news. Here's the second point about God. He is eternal. God has no beginning or end. He is not created. Just this past Monday, I, I helped uh, teach over at WizKids for the first couple minutes of the kids over at Stewart Elementary. And I went through this, uh, this story of creation. And I used this verse, which you'll see right here, Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And a couple minutes later, one of the kids said, excuse me, Mr. Jeff, who created God? And I thought, that's a good question. Look at this verse again. It says, in the beginning, God. So before everything was created, God was there. It can actually be translated, in the beginning, before there was a beginning, God was there. God is the creator. We begin with that fact. The assumption that he has always been there and always will be there. God is not created, but is there. After our first service, someone gave me a great quote. And they write really small, so please forgive me. I have to put these little tiny, my my kids call this the Mr. Peanut glasses. So I have to read this real close. It says this. This is Martin Buber, a theologian, refers to God as the eternal now, to express his timelessness. The laws of physics limit all matter. But see, God is not limited by physics. His spirit is eternal and everywhere in the same movement. See, God is outside of creation and is eternal. And so we have that confidence. The third part about God is this, is that God is triune. Early on in the creation story, we see early on that God is involved as three persons. In verse 26, it says this, then God said, let us make man in our own image and in our likeness. You notice the our image, the plural man in our likeness that would be jesus and then verse one and two 
It says God created the heavens and the earth. God being God the Father. He's the designer of this creation. And then you see the Holy Spirit there. It says the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So why is this important to see God being triune? Well, the Trinity is on display from the very beginning. And God exists in community. You see, God is in perfect community within himself. God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He's perfectly in their roles. Number four, he is creator of everything. And this is something as a reminder about everything you see around us. We just sang some great songs that declared about God's praise and about all the different things around us. This is what it says. Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his handiwork. See, if you look at the heavens and the sky, you see that there is a creator there. That's the one thing that's encouraging to me. I look at all the beautiful things that have been created, and I think there has to be a designer. There had to be someone wise enough to create all this for us. You see, all things came from him, and in all things are for him. All glory is due to him. That's why we give him praise for all that he has created. You know, we don't look at a sunset that's really beautiful and say, oh, praise that sunset. Good job, sunset. <laughs> now you say, thank you, God, for creating that wonderful sunset so I can enjoy it. You see, we have to get the fact here that God is creator and that we are his creation. We're created beings made from the creator. So he is the creator. Number five, he's also the king and sovereign ruler. Him being the king means that he is above all. In Psalm 95, verse 3 through 7, it says, For the Lord is a great God, a great king among all gods. His hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he has made it. And his hands had formed the dry lands. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. You notice as God is describing him being our creator, the response naturally should be this. It should be that he should be praised and worship, and we should bow down and kneel before our God because he's our maker. It says, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand today if you hear his voice. He is the king. And being a king, we kind of really have a hard time putting that in, con- in, in, in basically context. Because if you look at through history, when a king ruled his kingdom, all the subjects were literally subject to him. And so when the king would come in, all the servants would, would do what? They would kneel before him. They would kneel before the king. Well, see, God is the one who deserves all praise and all glory because he is our king. He is the one who's sovereign. That means he is the one that is in charge of everything. That should be our natural response to kneel and worship before him. So not only is he our king and sovereign ruler, he's also the holy and righteous judge of every created thing. 
See, he judges perfectly. He is the perfect judge. God is the one who determines what is right and what is wrong. He is the standard of truth. You remember what Jesus said is he said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. You know, Jesus didn't say he's sort of the truth. He is the truth. In Genesis 18.25, it says this. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? You see, he deserves to be the one who judges because he has created all things that are true and right. One fact about God is God cannot lie. He is truth. Number seven, he is a God who's full of love, compassion, and goodness. Now, when you think of the word father, you know, what kind of things come to your mind? For some people, it's a good experience, right? It's like, you know, I had a a father who was loving and kind and we did things together. But for so many people, maybe in this room, you think of maybe someone who was harsh, you know, someone who was hard to please. Well, we can count on God being the God of love, the one who is perfect in compassion and mercy and goodness to us. I love this fact about God in 1 John four sixteen. It says this. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. So God is love. You know, when you fall short, you think, oh no, I'm going to get punished. Well, it's amazing because when God looks at us as believers in Christ, he looks at Jesus through us because Jesus became sin for us, right? And it says that he sees us perfect in Christ. And it's by grace we are saved and it's by grace we live every day. And that's the truth you can hold on to. That God is perfect in his love. I love this in Psalm 145, 8. It says this, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger. Boy, aren't you glad for that? I think of that all the time. I think sometimes God's just going to like smack me on the side of the head. He's like, really, Jeff? But then I remember his promises that he's slow to anger. And I love this, abounding in steadfast love. He abounds in love. It's unfathomable. You know, he, he loves us in such a perfect way that we can, we can know with full confidence that he never gives up on us. And he loves us with an everlasting love. You know, do you, do you see God as that? I mean, this is probably the number one attribute that unbelievers hear about God. You know, they have to put all the different other attributes into play because we're trying to describe a God who has attributes that all work together in harmony. And so you have that God who is love. Now, the last two attributes are important because really they guide the rest. So number eight is this. God is holy. God is perfect in all he does. He's perfectly triune. He's perfect loving. He's perfectly compassionate. He is perfect in everything he does. He is holy. 
in Isaiah, there's a description. We, we get privy to a story that the man by name of Isaiah, who was the most righteous man of the time, he was brought up to the throne room of God. And he has this encounter with God. And here's this guy, think about it, one of the best people on earth, living as clean as he can. He sees the holiness of God. He sees himself against the purity and the perfection of God. And it says that he becomes undone, unhinged. He freaked out, whatever you want to say. (laughs) He became undone because he saw himself before the perfect and righteous God. And he hears the angels not only declaring once that God is holy, it says this in Isaiah 6, 3, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. See, the angels are proclaiming how perfect and holy and set apart God is from all of his creation. He is perfect in everything. And that leads to this, number nine. God is unchanging. And that's good for us. You don't have to worry about what mood God is when you fall in short, when you sin. Uh, For those who are in the workplace, have you ever had a boss who you're coming into work maybe on a Monday and you're thinking, oh man, what kind of mood are they in, right? What mood is he or she in? Like, oh, it's going to be a bad day, right? Or, oh, it's going to be a good day. They're in a good mood. Because you never know. Well, God is unchanging. It says this in Malachi 3, 6. Here's this declaration. For I, the Lord, do not change. Why is this important? Well, you don't have to worry about how you approach him because he tells us in his word that he is dependable. You know, Jesus is described in Hebrews as the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can have that confidence that God's word is true. You know, I look at when I blow it and I remember 1 John 1, 8, and 9. You know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? Now, does he change? Does he say maybe on Tuesdays at 3 that doesn't work for him? No. That's something I can count on tomorrow and the next day if god says that if you believe in my son and trust in him alone for salvation you will be saved you won't get to the end of your life and go you know jeff i'm not feeling it (laughs) sorry i want to change my mind no he does not change we can count on him i know i can go to him this is how we describe god this is how we tell the story now the second aspect of the story is this is creation You know, when we look at God's creation, the first aspect we look at is his universe. His universe is the vastness of God's creation. You know, one thing I love to do is I love to, every once in a while, study astronomy. Uh, I love going down, like, to the Creation Museum and going to that observatory and and seeing all the amazing things. Or or watching videos, like, about the, the Hubble telescope. You know, you think of, man, you start seeing that our little globe wow, there's a universe that's so vast and so amazing. It really, right, it makes your mind just absolutely blow. And I think about what scientists have, 
have observed. You know, they, they look at our universe and they call it the observable universe, knowing that we're only getting a small picture of what it, what it probably is. But they say this. This is an interesting fact. Fun fact of the day here is our Milky Way, which is our galaxy, it has 100 billion stars in our own galaxy. Now think about this. There are 25 billion galaxies in the universe. Right? Here's the Milky Way, right? You have 100 billion stars. There's another 25 billion galaxies out there. So if you add this up, if you get your calculator out, it would be 10 billion trillion stars in the known universe. 10 billion trillion. That's a few stars, would you think? Now here's a fact about God describing these stars. Isaiah 40:26 says this. Look up, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. So God is exhorting us to to look. Look up at the vastness of the universe. It says he brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. So it's saying here that God at least has named individually 10 billion trillion stars in the universe. And it says it's by the greatness of his might, because he is strong in power, not one is missing. God is our creator who shows us the vast universe that he's created. Here's the second part of creation, the earth. The earth is the majesty of God's creation. God displays the beauty and depth of who he is. Now, there is no planet like the earth out there. And I know it's great science fiction, and I know scientists are looking for life on other planets. But biblically speaking... God is saying that the earth is so unique, there's going to be none like this. You can keep searching, but you won't find another earth. Earth was made for a specific purpose. God's earth is unique, and there's no other one like it. And it's incredibly beautiful. Have you noticed that? I know many of you uh, go on vacations, and you see how beautiful you know, the different parts of the world are. You know, Even Cincinnati can be beautiful. Well, maybe, right? (laughs) Of course it can. Cincinnati is beautiful. And the snow can be beautiful for a few weeks, right? Well, we celebrate God's creation. And I like that in Genesis, he tells us he just didn't make the trees for our own food so it can feed us. Look at this in Genesis 2.9. It says, out of the ground... The Lord made us spring up every tree. And I don't know if you've ever seen this before. This is interesting. It says, that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. He did that to display his greatness. Pleasant to the sight. Beautiful trees. And it's good for food. God created the earth, which is the majesty of his creation. It creates an awe for us. You know, we talk about the mountains. We talk about all the different vastness of God's creation. It should cause us to just be awe-inspired. Here's the third part of his creation, humans. This is actually the highlight of God's creation. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 has so much depth in it. It describes how, unlike any other creature, God breathed life 
into us, into man. And he took dust and he made it come alive. It's pretty humbling to think that we all come from dust. Remember those old movies were from dust to dust, right? We think about, we are created by God in a unique way. Unlike the animals and anything else he's other created. The Bible says that he put his image in us. That we are to be image bearers of who he is. That's why we value human life. Is because God created us in a special way. There's a unique relationship between God and man. This is God's crowning achievement. The highlight of his creation. It's a unique relationship. We'll see next week what happened with that image. How that image was marred by the fall and how sin entered it. You know, it was so important when Jesus came. He didn't die, right, for animals, for plants. He died for man. Uh, A couple years ago, it was two years ago, my wife and I were teaching uh, over at Liberty Township at a church, and we, we had a special program uh, for Easter, and we were watching uh, the VeggieTales guy, uh, Phil Vischer's video that he had for Easter, and uh, one of the kids came up, very honest question. He said, uh, Mr. Jeff, Jesus didn't die for hand puppets. And I thought, yeah, you're right. <laughs> he didn't die for hand puppets. Why didn't he die for hand puppets? Because he died for for people who are made in his image, to restore that image back into right relationship with him. And then the fourth aspect of creation is the role of Christ in creation. You see Christ being in the beginning of this. You know, John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Well, Colossians 1.16 says this about Christ. It says, For by him all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him he holds all things together. I want you to think about this. Christ is the one who holds our universe, our earth Everything you see together, if you were just to let go, it would all be gone. See, he is the one that we can have confidence in because he is the one that holds all things together. Now, the third aspect of our story here today, you know, we've looked at God, we've looked at creation, and now we're going to look at harmony. Now that man's been created, God tells us in Genesis 1.31, After it was all done, he said this, And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. So he looked over his creation, and he said, it was very good. You see, it was a a perfect scene at that moment, before sin entered the world. It was perfect. There was no pain. There was no suffering. There was no death. There was no hurts. There was no shame. There was no fear. There was no anger. No worries. God said it was very good. And at the beginning, Adam and Eve were in perfect harmony. They were in perfect harmony with God. The Bible says that they had such a relationship 
that in the cool of the evening, God would come and meet with them. Now, I don't know how long it was between that time of creation to the fall, whether it be a few days or weeks or months or years, they enjoyed a relationship that had no sin in between that and that they can communicate in perfect harmony with God. What a beautiful scene of harmony. And then think of creation. There was perfect harmony in creation. There was no disease to worry about, no cancer, no death. There was no animals that you'd have to worry about, like coyotes and Loveland, <laughs> come attack you at night. There was no, no killing, animals getting along together. There was plants. There was no weather problems, no tornadoes, no problem with the earth being too warm. It was a perfect creation. And then finally, that perfect relationship with them, Adam and Eve, they were in perfect harmony with each other. There was no hiding the truth from each other. They enjoyed each other. It says they were naked. There was nothing to hide between each other. You see, that is part one of the story. That's what it looked like in the very beginning. And as we're sharing this with others, as we're sharing the gospel in this section, I want you to think about using these type of words. When you're talking to your friend, you can, you can ask them, you can say, how do you think it all began? You know, most people ask, ask that question uh, to themselves. You know, where did I come from? Where am I going? Well, ask them in an honest way and listen to them. And don't interrupt them and get ready to, to share what you know. Just listen. Find out what their starting point is, what their worldview is. Let them share it. And then you can ask the question, can I share with you what God would say? Can I share from his perspective how it all began? So here's your challenge. Uh, here's your homework. If you take this challenge, I encourage you to do this. On the back of your sermon notes, you can take those three points, God, creation, and harmony, and write it in a way that you can communicate in your words, in your language, using scripture, because we're, we're telling the truth of God's word. And so you can write it in there. And the second thing you can do is to get familiar with this gospel track, this gospel booklet. Because this is great. This is so easy to use. And we're going to show you um, how easy to just use. We're going to have some videos of some, some uh, folks using it so you can get an idea of how to use it. But even at the app store, as I said, for the story, they also have other tools you can use to, to get the conversation story about the how did it all begin? Where do you think things are going? And so get familiar with this. Start to memorize them. On our website, I created a special training. If you go to mcc.us forward slash story training, you'll see a very simple set of videos. There'll be, and I'm going to move the, the one section up because people are missing it. But there's a video. It will say session one and session two that are already on there. Session one is something we haven't covered because I want you to, if you can, do it on your own. Uh, it's, it's how to write the story and how important the story is and storytelling. But session two is what we talked about today, 
about creation. And so there's a, a link where you can uh, download the PDF and print it up and fill in the, the blanks through the video. And also at the very end, there's a, the whole thing about how to do the hand motion so you can memorize it. But I encourage you to, to embrace this way of, of sharing the gospel because our world needs the gospel. How will they not hear if there's not someone to tell them? The last challenge today is we talked about Easter and we talked about how it's going to be such a unique service where we're going to actually go through these four parts of the story. And I want you to think about two families. I want you to take, if you would, take the challenge of taking two cards and to get together as a family and say, okay, who can we pray for that we can invite that is unchurched? We're talking about two families. I believe everyone in here can reach at least two families and invite them to come and hear the gospel story of life change. For those who are preparing for communion, if you can come up, we're going to transition now to celebrate. Really, we're going to fast forward to the rescue, which Jesus Christ became our substitute. And that's what we celebrate in communion. We think about what he's done for us. And so to remind you, I want to let you know this table is open for all those who've received Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we're going to pass the bread and cup. And if you can hold that together, uh, we'll take it together as a group. And I want to encourage you as we're passing the the plate around with the bread and cup to examine your hearts, to find out where you are with God right now, to, to see if there's anything between you that maybe you need to uh, confess before him and maybe a relationship that needs to be restored. So would you join me in prayer uh, as we move towards communion? Lord Jesus, I thank you for this great hope of the gospel. Lord, I thank you for that promise that for you love the world so much that you gave us Jesus and that by trusting in him, we have eternal life. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to examine our hearts right now. I pray that you would uh, be glorified in our time here. In your name, Jesus. Amen.